It's time for another episode of Legally Unfiltered. Legally Unfiltered is a radio show and podcast that talks about legal issues in the community, legal issues in the media, legal issues that affect you. This is attorney Franz Borkart. I'm here with attorney Richard Sprinkle. For all those listening on Talk 107.3, good evening. This week, we have a special set of guests for our episode. This week, we're talking to two of our favorite public defenders from East Baton Rouge. We've got the District Defender Mike Mitchell, the boss of the East Baton Rouge Parish Public Defender's Office, and we have the Deputy District Defender, Lindsey Bluen, in the studio talking to us about what it's like to be a public defender. Now, Richard, the folks out there don't know, or maybe they do know, that that both Richard and I were previously public defenders in 2000, I want to say to the early or excuse me, mid 2000s. I was a public defender in Mike's office. Uh, I was in Judge Moore's court for two years and Judge Anderson's court for a year. You just got finished with a very brief tour of it, Judge. It was brief. It, it was brief. We're going to talk about Sorry. it later or maybe not talk about it. So anyways, that. we invited Lindsay and Mike to talk because a lot of times there are some legislative conversations going on about public defense and more importantly, public defense funding. Um, there is conversations recently, Richard, on 98.1, Richard Condit went off on public defenders saying that they are the scourge of the justice system. The very yeah. reason he won't let his wife walk on the streets alone at right. night. Why does Baton Rouge have such good crime? It's because of the public defenders. They're getting all these people off. So, Lindsay, Mike, we're going to start with a, with a softball question. What are some of the most common myths about public defense and public defenders? Well, I, I think some of the common myths about the public defenders is, first of all, that we probably probably received our law degrees from the dollar store. I, I was accused of getting mine from a Cracker Jack box. Cracker Jack box. Yes. Yeah, that's that's one of the other places that we that we get them from. Uh, but the other is that the public public defenders, lawyers that practice public defense, are lawyers that uh, couldn't get jobs anywhere else. Which, uh, for our office, at at the very least, is nothing but further from the truth. I mean, it's a highly, when I was there, and that was 2009, 2010, it was difficult to get a job in the PD's office in EBR. I mean, there there was no, I know, Lindsay, you can talk about in a little bit, kind of the, the, the farm system, so to speak, from the intern, extern programs. But those jobs were tough to get because, you know, there weren't a lot of them. And then those were the jobs where if you were interested in doing real criminal law and, and more specifically being a criminal litigator, there were only two paths to you doing that. And one was working for the public defender's office and one was working for a DA's office. And so if you didn't want to be a prosecutor, you were guys were the best act in town if you get hired on. So what other myths, guys? Well, and Franz, I can tell you today that, that that's you mentioned the farm team. It's even tougher to get a job with, with us at the Public Defender's Office because we do have a form system now that right. um, allows us to actually vet potential lawyers better mm-hmm. uh, and determine whether or not uh, they are actually fit. And when I say fit, I mean uh, have the temperament, uh, the diligence, the necessity to uh, come into the public defense system and work hard at, for our clients and get it done. Uh, I'm, I'm going to let Lindsay take the next part of this. <laughs> Thanks, boss. Um, I would say probably one of the one of the myths that I find to be most frustrating is that if you get a public defender, then your case is just over. You're done. 
like that if you are assigned a public defender, they're not going to care. And you should just give up hope and faith in the criminal justice system in this country. Uh, we are an office that certainly has too many cases and not enough attorneys. It's why, and I think people have probably read about it in the paper very recently, we have stood up and said, this has to be done better. We need to have the level of attorney and support staff capable of providing that quality representation that anyone, regardless of what they're charged with, is entitled to because they have the benefit of living in this country. So my question has always been, why is it that the individual who has the most in-court, out-of-court criminal law experience day in and day out, why does the general public view them as, quote-unquote, not a real attorney? Is it because they're not, they're not having to be paid for? Is it because we have this sense of if we're not paying for it, it's not real? Because candidly, guys, candidly, there is often the case where someone calls my office to hire me privately. Not that I charge exorbitant rates, although some would say I do, they can't afford me. And then they'll tell me, Hey, I have a Lindsay Bloom representing me. And I'm like, I don't think you understand how lucky you are. She's incredibly good or a Josh Newville or, or, or another big name, good defense attorney that works for y'all's office. And I'm like, I don't think you understand how good of an attorney they are, but there's still that perception in the back of their mind that, well, no, but that's not a real attorney. Why is that? What is the cause for that? I think that's a myth that we are working to dispel that was built on part with how public defenders used to be appointed in this okay. parish. So say your loved one, Franz, gets arrested. You pick up the phone, you call an attorney, and you say, I need you to help get my loved one out of jail. That lawyer is going to go out to the jail, get on the phone with the judge, try to get a bond set. But all that work is happening right after your loved one was arrested. It used to be in this parish that... If you were arrested for a crime and you were too poor to hire your own lawyer, that you didn't get a public defender until formal charges were brought against you by the DA's office, which could take months. And then you weren't actually given that public defender until you were brought into court on arraignment for those charges. And so if you have both rich and poor people going to jail at the same time, but a rich person gets out immediately and a poor person doesn't get a lawyer until three to four months after they're arrested, then naturally you're going to be looking at this lawyer later down the road and saying, what can you really do for me? Because well, I am poor, I'm obviously going to be treated differently. Well, and those, those months do give me a decisive advantage because generally I'm working on a file before the prosecutor is. Mm -hmm if it's not a homicide and armed robbery and whatnot. Now, a follow-up question to that, Lindsay, is there is often an impression I get that folks in the real world, middle class, lower class, economically situated folks, they view the attorney sometimes, or this is the impression I'm getting, and Richard, you correct me if I'm wrong too, I think they view attorney as a luxury and the priority is the bond. And if they had their choice between hiring an attorney and getting their loved one out of jail, they're going to make the decision to get them out of jail nine times out of 10. Whereas hiring the attorney, you know, is a quote unquote luxury to them because I think to some of these folks, they're like, look, I can get an attorney, whether I can afford one or not. I can't necessarily get this person out of jail if I don't spend the money to get them out. What are your thoughts on that? Because what I'm really asking about is the bond system and how that affects your caseloads. Because I, 
I, I see it firsthand. A client that can't afford to hire me because they spent all their money getting their, their loved one out of jail, you may end up representing that person because they're quote unquote indigent. No, you're absolutely right. There are people who, because they end up staying in jail for a couple of months, lose their job, lose their homes, lose their support system. And so if they got out of jail right after they were arrested, they might have been able to afford to hire a private attorney. But simply because they had to stay in jail waiting on charges, they become impoverished such that they now need the public defender's office. It does increase our caseloads. One of the things that our office is doing to be more responsive, not only to the fact that we need to get in and we need to provide representation at the same time and on the same level as someone who is able to pay for a lawyer, is to get appointed right after people are arrested. So not a lot of people know that you have a right to go before a judge 72 hours after you've been arrested. We now have a public defender present every day for that first appearance court to make sure that individuals who are too poor to afford a bond and too poor to afford an attorney are getting a public defender at that point. Because what we want to do is not just not just get in and see what is going on from the from the thing that brought that person to jail on that first arrest, but also see what's going on with that individual. As a bigger whole. As a bigger whole. We see a lot of people who come through our system that we call repeat customers. So we want to get in and see whether or not there is a substance abuse issue, whether or not there is a mental health issue, whether or not there is something that is driving why that person keeps coming back. And the public defender's office is working to set those people up with services. It may be that this is a young kid who needs help getting into GED classes. We, if we get that kid his GED and get him employed, he doesn't come back to our criminal justice system. And so the public defender's office has done good work, even though it's not necessarily exclusively legal work in the way that it used to be done years ago. How much of a strain has that placed on your office doing that bond work, that service? And I ask that only in so much as, as you're devoting, what, one or two attorneys to doing that full time? We've been fortunate that we were able to partner with the mayor's office uh, through a grant that uh, was given to Baton Rouge after this city experienced all of its issues with the Alton Sterling killing and the police officer killings and the flooding back in 2016. This was a city that needed a lot of assistance. And so the mayor's office was awarded a Resiliency in Communities After Stress and Trauma grant, which we call RECAST. And through partnering with that grant, we have been able to hire a bond team, which is comprised of a bond attorney, a social worker, a client advocate, and some other support staff that work to set up services, but also work to investigate the case as individuals are coming through the court system right after arrest. So one of the questions I get asked often, guys, is, is it true that somebody that has more money gets a better, and we how, how have we phrased it in the past? Serving. A better serving of justice, so to speak. And I've always said, well, of course, somebody who has more money gets better justice, but not because of why you might think. And I tell folks that if I can get someone out of jail, then I can get them to mitigate. And if I can get them to mitigate, I can present that mitigation to a prosecutor in hopes of a better resolution. Versus if I cannot get my client out of jail, the only negotiating posture I have is how much of a pain in the butt that client will be if he or she goes to trial. You know, and, and we've we've all at this table had clients that were negotiating based on the annoyance factor, so to speak, of they, their their role in either going to trial or taking a deal. So so I always think it's silly when I'm asked. 
you know, does money get you a better shake? Because my response is generally not in the way you might think. Now, of course, if you can afford a legal dream team of, of three heavy hitting attorneys, two investigators, a paralegal, an expert of your choice, well, yeah, in a perfect world, you should get a better outcome than if you have a situation where you have one attorney who's overworked, an investigator that is overworked, a social worker that that can devote a certain amount of time and energy to you, um, but not having the means to get out of jail, you know, you're going to get a different serving of justice, so to speak. And that's not because of your attorney's devotion to their ethical duties of representation. That's just the reality of life, um, which is unfortunate. Um, now we did want to talk about some of the realities because, you know, I remember being told I wasn't a real attorney for three years. I I remember being told that, that I didn't care because I was a public defender. There were lots of myths that we've talked about. Some of them, what are the realities? What are the realities of a prototypical good East Baton Rouge parish public defender? Well, um, our, the public defenders that work in our offices are actually some of the best uh, lawyers that you can you can find in Baton Rouge. Um, we have uh, attorneys from some of the best schools in the country, mm-hmm. uh, certainly uh, LSU and, and uh, Southern, um, and they are dedicated, uh, hardworking, uh, and one of the issues that, that, yes, we face that you and Lindsay just talked about uh, is the fact that we are under-resourced. Uh, because we are under-resourced, we can't do the things. You know, one, one of the most important things you can do in the beginning of a, taste, a case is investigate it. You either investigate the fact of it or you uh, investigate the, the mitigation. And if you can start doing that right away, you always get a better in- outcome than you would if you, don't, if you can't get to that until six months or a year later. So I guess one of the biggest realities that I want to talk about before we, we talk about some of the interesting things that are going on. Um, I benefited as a public defender to some great training, both presented by the office, um, presented by the, 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 I guess, prototypical, uh, state board at the time. Um, I took advantage of scholarships to go to the national criminal defense college. I took advantage of a scholarship, uh, to go to the trial lawyers college a few times, all because I was a public defender representing poor people. And I've told people, I've told Richard, I tell other people that the training you get, and it's not just the opportunity to litigate, but the real training that you get from being a public defender, either in this office or in other offices, is significant. Can you talk a little bit about what training, what training you guys are offering your public defenders right now and how that affects their representation of the client? Well, we... We certainly, like you were talking about, Franz, have the benefit of having some lawyers who have been with our office for decades. And the wealth of experience that they've received in the courtroom is phenomenal. And it's also something that they make a point of passing on to other new attorneys in the office. Our office is also fortunate enough to have been able to partner with a national organization known as Gideon's Promise. And this is a national organization that is dedicated to helping to train public defenders, especially in under-resourced jurisdictions. And so you were talking about scholarships earlier because our office has to be very careful about how we spend money. Uh, The Gideon's Promise program subsidizes a tremendous amount of, of training for our, especially our new attorneys to be able to go to intensive training in Atlanta, Georgia to work on not just how to practice law, 
but also how to represent people. That you're not representing a case, you're representing a person. And so we've been able to, in my opinion, retain some very qualified people who might have otherwise burned out because this job is hard. It is hard because you have too many cases. It is hard because you do not have enough time. It is hard because you're dealing with people who are generally experiencing the worst issue they've ever had in their life. And so to provide not only training in how to litigate, but also training in how to deal with the burnout means that our office is better because we have been able to retain talent because they're getting that support. Well, and, and I guess the wear and tear on a criminal defense attorney is a, is another topic for another episode, but I've, I've often said that people don't appreciate the amount of PTSD and trauma and emotional wear and tear a good criminal defense attorney who cares. And a lot of us care, but the emotional toll of, of dealing with cases, trying to stop stop lives being ruined from a generational standpoint, trying to, trying to litigate all the things you need to litigate, trying to be, you know, present and accountable to your client, their families, you know, trying to do all the things that you're ethically obligated to do day in and day out, not for just one year, but for decades is difficult. Um, I've often thought that the attorneys I know that have been doing this for 20 years, they deserve a hug. Um, I want to talk about caseloads. So, so I remember what my caseloads were, Mike, um, and they were big. Um, they were sizable. What is a average caseload for a felony? And we call them line defenders now. Is that still what they're being called, or is there another term for them? Uh, a a a assistant public defender, yeah, the we, frontliner. We we've we've been called a lot of things through the years, and yeah, and, uh, line defenders is is a good name for them. Okay. Or, or uh, I just like to call them assistant public defenders. Right. Um, the assistant public defenders, the caseloads now are running uh, somewhere around 200, 300 cases, uh, I believe, at any given time. And that's felony cases. That's felony cases. Okay, yes. and that can range from street crimes, white collar. From simple street crimes to, to uh, homicides. Right. I, I know when I was there, I saw the entire gamut. I, I had white-collar crimes. I had felonies. I had misdemeanors. I mean, right. everything comes at you. you. You really have no idea what card's being dealt. And so, you never so, know how much work is going to be required. You could get you could get something that comes in and it sounds like a very serious charge. And ultimately, it only involves one or two witnesses and you can investigate it relatively quickly. You could also get something like a contractor fraud case and you're going through tens of thousands of records trying to investigate the case. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Or you get the, the, uh, the, the attorney general generally prosecutes the, the Medicaid fraud type cases mm-hmm. and and, and they can have boxes and boxes of, of files that you have to go through and documents uh, that you have to have to research. Uh, and it, all of that takes a lot of time. And if uh, a client were to go to a private attorney, then the private attorney would charge them appropriately for that time and then be able to put the time in. So I don't think I have 200 active files as a private attorney. I think mine is probably closer to 50 or 60. And when I say active, that's counting federal court-appointed CJA or federal conflict work, um, working with the public defender's office in the federal court. That counts private state court cases. That counts private federal cases, city court, um, mostly criminal files. I do a little bit of civil, but I'd say 50 to 60. And I'll, and I'll tell you, that is a lot of files. And I don't feel 
overwhelmed, but I think if I got to 100 to 150, I would have to hire additional attorneys at that point. So Mike, being that you're in charge of the of of the East Baton Rouge Parish Public Defender's Office, you're at your most of your attorneys are at 200. And, and acknowledging that they're different cases, acknowledging that it's a spectrum, where would you ideally like them to be th- to where you would feel more comfortable with their day in and day out jobs? Uh, generally in, in the range of, uh, I would say 40 to 50 ca- okay. uh, r- mid-level mm-hmm. cases, uh, for example, mid-level felony cases. Uh, however, let's say you were handling homicides. Right. Well, you shouldn't have any more than nine or 10 homicides in any given time. Uh, if if that many, depending on the the, the complications uh, of the case. So that just goes to show you, because like when I was in your office, I can remember having I think at one point I had four active homicide, second degree murder cases, and 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 feeling that that was way too many. Now 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 and the reason you felt that that was way too many. Um, I'm certain is because you also had 150 right other right felony right. cases. So, uh, so if you had four homicide cases, those are all. That's the only cases that you should have. So we're going to make this a two-part episode for you guys because we're talking about good stuff. But I want to wrap that up by talking about and Richard uh, very quickly. Um, we're here with Lindsey uh, Bluen and Michael Mitchell from the East Baton Rouge Parish Pu- Public Defender's Office. Um, we have decided in this episode to make this a two-parter. So uh, stay tuned for our. Our next episode. We're givers. We're givers. We're we give givers. more than we, we like take. To give, yes. So that's about it for this episode of Legally Unfiltered. You've been listening to the sweet sounds of Richard Sprinkle and Attorney Franz Borkart, and we will give you the second round of this episode the following week. So have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. The views and opinions expressed in Legally Unfiltered do not constitute legal advice. If you would like legal advice on the topics that we've discussed, send us money. That's right. Go ahead and retain us. Do not, kids, try this at home.